Today on the Name a Better Duo podcast, we have Nicole Crowder of Nicole Crowder Upholstery. Nicole Crowder Upholstery is a modern furniture and upholstery studio creating innovative, one-of-a-kind modern heirloom furniture and home furnishings. Nicole released her first custom furniture collection with retailer World Market in 2022 that is available in-store and online. In 2022, she also launched and hosted her inaugural upholstery workshop retreat, a three-day immersive experience that serves a small group of individuals in learning upholstery and reconnecting with their creative selves near Lake Superior each year. Nicole's work spans commercial, hospitality, and editorial clients and has been commissioned by leading hotels and restaurants across the country. Her work has been featured in leading design publications, including Architectural Digest, Elle Decor, Martha Stewart Magazine, Design Milk, Business of Homes, Domino.com, Better Homes and Gardens, Midwest Living, Covator, The Washington Post, and more. Welcome, Nicole Crowder. Oh my gosh, Renee, thank you for having me. I'm super hyped to be here to see your face. So me and Nicole went to Towson University together. To you. Located in Baltimore, Maryland. And man, goodness, I know I graduated in uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Same, same. It's been a while. (laughs) My gosh. I've been watching everything you've been doing from afar, and I'm just so, so happy for you and excited to see the great things you're doing. We were just sitting here chit-chatting before we got on here. Um, Nicole has always had an eye for just like aesthetics, decor. I remember going into her dorm room. I think it's your junior year, maybe your senior yes. year, might have been oh a sophomore. But I remember going into your dorm room and just being like, how does she make this happen? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like you take your photographer as well. You had like your photos and you had like art. Mm-hmm. It was just phenomenal to create this oh. beauty in such a small space. Like you've always had that eye, always had a knack for like decor. And now to see all that you're doing with your upholstery business and your furniture making, I'm in awe. So yeah, thank you so much. It's such a wild like 60 maybe uh, going from that dorm room you know where I wanted to be a photo editor for years and I had I remember gathering all these you know prints from magazines and, and books and framing them putting them around my dorm room wall and I guess you know in a strange way it was kind of a manifestation because I wasn't even thinking about interiors at that time I was just like well I wouldn't work in editorial magazines and uh but that dorm room was super special it was uh, my first time having such a big space in a private space because I had, you know, shared rooms up until that point. So it really was a nice canvas for me to spread out and, you know, get myself set up with my textiles and all my stuff. So I, I loved having you in that dorm. It was it was such a good time. So warm. Such a good time. <laughs> So warm. It, I love that term. So warm. Like coming in, you go to dorm rooms and they're just, you know, your basic, the, the wood bed frame and dresser. But coming into right. your room, it felt warm. It felt like a home away from oh. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I love, too, what you brought up because the, the purpose of Name a Better Duo is to kind of present unique careers to people and, and show just stepping outside of the box and for you to mention how you always wanted to be a photo editor. And I think a lot of the hardship that comes with careers for people is learning to go with the flow and realizing that it's not always what you intended to be. doesn't always look like what you expect it to. Um, But for you to kind of like go with the flow and, and go with where you're being led to, because your purpose can be so far outside of what you expected for yourself. Exactly. That that that's exactly it. I feel like 
the sort of rhythm of my career trajectory has been so nonlinear, but it still felt very, um, I don't know, almost like spiritual in this way. It's felt like, you know, taking leaps of faith each and every time, but it's been so personal. um, And it's been something you kind of just feel in your gut of like, it's new territory, but I also feel like that's my my calling. That's the space I should be in. And going from photo editing, which is a huge passion that I loved and still love, mm-hmm. I always wanted to be, you know, working with magazines, working with um, brands and organizations that really felt collaborative, had lots of, you know, designers around, people fostering ideas to create this visual narrative. And being able to work in that space for almost 10 years, really, um, with different magazines and newspapers was was such a dream. But there was this point where even within that space, I was like, those other creative energies that I want to tap into and that I feel that I have. And I wasn't really able to articulate it at the time because, you know, in my mind, I was like, you you go to school for a thing, you kind of become that thing, you work in that field. And it's a little hard to say, oh, now I'm also doing this. Mm-hmm. But that was also around like 20, what was that, 2008, 2010, when there was just this whole conversation of like multi-hyphenates. And I felt a little more freedom to be like, I want to explore something else. I don't fully know what it's going to yield, but, you know, that ended up being upholstery work. And I was doing a lot of that on the side just through um, kind of in the back way of uh, photography, I was photographing different homes for apartment therapy. And one of the homes that I went to, the owners had these two beautiful chairs. And I had seen tons of chairs before, but it was like the first time I was seeing upholstery. And when I asked where they got those chairs from, they put me onto this awesome spot in Maryland, in Bel Air, Maryland, actually called uh, Ryan's Relics. Great mid century furniture. I bought some chairs, reupholstered them, sold them within a week. And the lady who bought them was an architect. And she was like, oh, do you have more furniture? And I was like, no, girl, this is literally, you know, me working out of my living room. And she was the one who really sparked it in me that this is more than just like a hobby. It's a niche. And so I started getting into upholstery um, just while I was still working full time, being my home, buying stuff, you know, off of Craigslist at seven, eight o'clock in the morning, picking it up after work, reupholstering it. And so, you know midnight basically and all that snowballed into like farmers markets um working with individual clients with family and friends and i said this is you know this is something i really want to do and sort of explore a little more full time and definitely you know want to talk more about the ins and outs and all of that because it, it wasn't linear i went back to photography then got back into upholstery more um more full time as i'm doing it right now but it was something I had to kind of let my gut guide me in doing because I I didn't have any formal training. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have anybody else working in this kind of space. So it was me really trying to define those spaces for myself as I went along. That, man, I love that. <laughs> I, dive into, I have so many questions there, but before we do get into those questions, I like to start off with an icebreaker just to get to know you, you know, yeah. like we're going to talk about career, but I want to get to know Nicole. Okay. So a question I love asking everyone, if you could hear any song again for the first time, what would it be? Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I really love like super lush music, almost cinematic music. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh my gosh. I'm thinking of, oh, oh, okay. There's a song, actually it's by Madonna called um, What It Feels Like for a Girl. And the first time I heard this song, it was what I feel is one of the best times of day to hear new music, which is at night. I had my big over the ear headphones on and this song came on and it was just so like, um, super like symphonic, lots of kind of like synth style, but really, um, really lush in this kind of way. And you got to get the studio album version, not the, there was like a remix done on a video. That was not a great, um, rendition for me not my favorite rendition but every time I hear that song I'm gonna have to replay that song actually because it I get this visceral reaction and it at that time when I first heard it it really felt like me coming into myself it was almost 20 years ago so you know almost 20 years old um yeah coming into who I am as as a woman as a creative that would be a song that I would listen to again for the first time and also um Oh my gosh, I feel like I had another one on the tip of my tongue. It would be, oh, there's a song called, um, what's his name? His name is Dane Zone, is the artist, Boundless. Oh, okay. y'all have to go because it is incredible. Again, really lush, symphonic. He's kind of like, it's a really good bass line when the song starts. And then he gets into this kind of like whispery hush tone. Put that song on the backdrop of anything you are doing. And it's just, it elevates it even more. I I, I got to replay that song too because the first time I heard it, I played it on loop for three days straight. I kid you not. I love that. Okay, so <laughs> what we do is we create a Spotify playlist, so those songs are going to go on there. So everybody can find out. <laughs> I can do that for you. I love making a good playlist, child. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, what's a perfect day look like to you? Oh, um, that varies. But I think a perfect day for me is I love to talk and I I love to be in conversation, like really a warm space with people who I love, just having really great heart-centered conversations. So I feel like a perfect day for me is like a brunch, a long brunch with my girlfriends in a beautiful setting or my home, um, playing host to people, just making folks feel really welcomed and cared for, belly laughs that are deep great music in the background, awesome food. And yeah, just like creating a vibe, not even going somewhere. Although I love a road trip, that is one of my favorite days too. But I feel like it's just really long, extended periods of closeness with um, people who I love in, in really great surroundings with great food. That's my perfect day. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said too about creating a vibe because I feel like you do that just like uh, just in your Instagram page alone. Like, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> like the events that you create and you had posted yesterday, I think it was um, a hotel that has like an yes. vibe. And I'm like, it made yeah. me want to come to Minnesota and check it out. <laughs> I, I want everyone to come here and just vibe. It's the four seasons and it is fantastic. They just opened this year and the way they have really designed the space to reflect Minnesota. Like the decor is really uh, mimics a lot of things that are just uh, native and local to Minnesota. But I realized, cause I did my sort of human design chart uh, a while ago, and there's a, a compo- component of human design that talks about environments and spaces where you are most aligned with yourself and how kind of like, you live and work best. And my environment was a marketplace. 
And when I started reading the descriptions of it, it made so much sense because the marketplace is, you know, it's colorful. It's filled with lots of textiles, patterns. It's very much like a vibe. It's a whole scene that is really lush and um, and really vibrant. And somebody who is hypersensitive to the environments that I'm in, um, I think that's why I enjoy outfitting them so much just because it's that feeling I'm trying to capture of like warm, cozy, welcoming, and and like home. So it, it all kind of, the more I'm learning about human design and myself, it just, it fits. There's so many puzzle pieces that are connecting. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Do you feel like your style changes with your location? Because you, you've lived in the DMV, you're back home now in Minnesota. Do you feel like yeah. that shifts your, your style or your taste? That's that's a really great question. And I feel like it has. Yeah, I think also the combination of just growing and becoming a different person, even, you know, every year or every few years. Um, yeah. My sense of style, what I gravitate toward, colors that I really resonate with have, have shifted so much. In my previous apartments in D.C., um, I had lived in I was in D.C. for about 15 years. And over the course of that, all of my apartments have been super, super vibrant. Like I noticed a lot of color, a lot of like a sense of wanting to be on vacation, but at home, create this sort of like resort vibe, but in my home space. And so I had, you know, accent walls painted in all kinds of bright colors and doing hand-painted murals and and lots of um, just sort of adding a lot of texture. And I loved that. And I feel like I needed those spaces at the time. But my my style has shifted a lot to where I want more neutral colors. I want a little bit more space. I feel like, um, what is the word? Kind of more airy, but yeah. still having those accents, those layers of beautiful prints and fabrics. But um, and I also now I'm living, you know, with my partner. So thinking about his design style, what resonates best for, you know, his nervous system. I know it's not a ton of really bright colors. So I'm trying to, I just, I feel like in a personal sort of shift anyways, wanting something that reflects more of a grown, sexy, elegant, elevated kind of vibe. And this apartment that we've been in has really, really cultivated that. I'm heavy into peel and stick wallpaper now. So instead okay. of painting, I've been going wild with wallpaper and it is so good because it just, you know, a wall is like a blank canvas and I can just sort of dress it however I want. I love to add plates and picture frames and do like galleries and add texture that way. So it, it feels more like an elevated kind of space. Um, and even the spaces that I am designing for you know, friends or for clients, I think I'm trying to use different language, different colorways um, mm -hmm. in those spaces. One, to challenge myself creatively. I never want to get stuck in a rut where it's like you're known for this particular thing. And wanting a space that reflects who that person is also in their home, not just the function of the space, but like, who are you, you know, in this home and, and you know, who are you even trying to become? All of those go into my, my kind of decision-making. Yeah. And that's such a good note too, when living with someone else, being able to incorporate both of your styles is so yeah. important. I think oh, a lot of people, they think that, oh, we clash and I can't make, but you can make both work, you know, and just, incorporating yeah. things that they like and what you like so it's a lot of communication too it's very much of like 
you know, bringing something in, does this work here now? Maybe it does, but in three months, you know, you might want to change it out and put a mirror there instead of a big, I don't know, textile or whatever it is. But my partner and I, we were just having a conversation today actually about, you know, a coat hangers and stuff and and the style of coat hanger to use that accommodates the hallway space we have and, you know, the function of it in the apartment. So little details like that. But um, I try to view the design as more lighthearted than like, you know, it has to look a certain way because it's a, it's a living space and it's going to shift just as, as you are. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> well, what shows are you watching right now? Oh my gosh, so many. What am I watching? Okay, <laughs> first off, White Lotus. I don't know if you are into the White Lotus, but... <laughs> That is my jam. It is on HBO Max. Um, and this is the second season. They just announced the third season. But it's brilliant. It, there's so much social commentary that the, sh- the show, which was born out of the pandemic, tries to um, tries to address. And it's kind of like this, you know, ensemble cast a little bit. And there's usually, I don't know, six to eight different characters. Super character-driven show, which I love. I love anything that's like interpersonal drama kind of focused. But um, this particular season is dealing a lot with, like, privilege, um, male privilege, uh, class, and things like that. So I get deep into my bag on that show and even, you know, going on to TikTok and looking at fan theories and stuff. But I love The White Lotus. Also very into The Housewives of Potomac. That is my show. (laughs) Potomac or Atlanta. Um, my sister and I, we have this ongoing text thread just of anytime we're both watching it, um, kind of like live texting each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm also watching House Hunters, which uh, a show that's been on for decades. It's been on for a long time. Yeah. I recently just got back into it. And now it's kind of like my comfort show a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I love I'm, I find myself in terms of the pattern, the habit that I have of watching it looking at a lot of the black families and seeing, um, I don't know if you've watched house hunters at all. If you've, if oh you've yeah. Seen, all the time. Okay. I am an HDTV fanatic. So Listen, <laughs> it's just like, I put it on, you know, in the morning or if it's in the background while I'm working before I go to bed. And I'm really curious again about, you know, people's thinking around their home and what are the components that are like must haves for them, the different personalities, um, a L- little bit less invested in the decisions that they make ultimately, but more just the the thoughts about, you know, while leading up to those decisions. But those are like three shows that I'm watching and I, um, a lot that I want to get into as well. There's so much TV out there. Yeah. So much good TV. Much good TV. And with House Hunters, they kind of, I feel like they always have that scenario we were just talking about where like mm-hmm. the partners are clashing on their ideas and yes need to compromise yes some so. things are, you know harder compromises like you want a hundred thousand dollar budget and you are on a five hundred thousand like how to, what's the middle for that but it is it's good tv and i love you know gives me a little preview into other cities too just to get a sense for you know maybe where i want to live in the future but so it's just it's a good little fun social show i like to watch <laughs> Yes. Nicole, I know you write as well because I know you've done magazine and Mm -hmm. newspaper, but have you thought about writing novels? Because your detail, like the way you describe, (laughs) I would love to read a Nicole Crowder novel. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny. I would joke all the time with like, because my friends, family, everybody says Nicole is chatty, which I realized this about me. And it was, 
I, I went to school for as an English major initially. And I was like, English major and not a journalist because journalists are much more queued up for brevity, whereas English majors are like, give me the detail, you know, give me the, the nuance. And so I would love to, to write a book. I think um, it's so funny you mentioned that because I was uh, working with a designer friend of mine to write a book proposal, mm-hmm. uh, more so centered with like upholstery and design, but having historical anecdotes that really talk about, you know, the history of African-Americans and furniture um, in, in this country specifically and sort of our contributions to that across textiles, across cotton, across woodworking and, and making and and homemaking in general. So um, I would love to write something. I just, I'm sort of in the research phase of it right now, but it would be fantastic to share these stories in in a robust way and, and get a lot of my own excitement for this craft out and share it with other people. So yes, girl, that is high can, on the list. Because when you tell, when you describe, even just when you describe the TV shows, like I can see them, you know, like, so you paint a picture, you paint a picture so well. So I would love to read. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I love, I love storytelling in all its forms, podcasts, uh, books, anything that, you know, and I love really good storytellers. I definitely do not feel like I am one yet, but I try to you know, look at examples and other people whose cadence, whose um, details that I really admire because there's just, that's such an art to it. And I feel like it helps relay your message and pull people into, you know, that love as well, even if they can't directly relate to it, if they're not working in the same industry or or whatever it is, there's still something about really great stories that are, are magic. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to at some point, get on, be on that level for sure. <laughs> you're storytelling through your furniture and through, you know, your upholstery. Yeah. So you are definitely a storyteller. All Thank right. You. So let's hop into these questions. Yes. When did you discover, when did you first discover your passion for art? Ooh, for art, it was when I was, um, I grew up as a military kid and we lived in Germany. It's where I was born. And I feel like it was there. We had uh, one of our, the homes we had off base because there was a couple on base, but the one that we had off base, certainly my mom bought me like a bunch of coloring books, pencils and everything and really, really fostered that um, incredible like sense of creativity, of making. My brother was a huge huge supporter, always been a huge supporter of things that I've made. And I remember my first drawing in my mind now, granted I was, you know, four or five, but in my mind, it was this elaborate castle and it had, you know, all the flags and tassels and everything. And I remember my brother picking it up and like, you know, waving it in front of my parents excitedly. And I just thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. You could not tell me that my drawing wasn't everything. And I just kind of kept in the vein of that. I'm pretty sure if I saw that painting today or that drawing, it is scribbles. But um, there was this sense of like joy around color and being able to express, you know, a world through color and nothing had to necessarily be as it was in the real world. And Mm -hmm. that thread has always kind of stayed through any artwork that I've created, whether it was graphic design, which is... um, initially what I had gone to college for or into photography, which is what I shifted into, or then later into upholstery work, especially with textiles. So I feel like, um, yeah, that was my initial sort of 
foray into the into the art world. <laughs> yeah, I love to because we talked about this briefly in the beginning. You talk about the shift in just what you were pursuing in college, yeah, and, and what you you know pursued after post college, and then being you know kind of thrown into this new career path like you said that was so nonlinear and that was not what you anticipated I think that um you know just having that that flexibility you know and and being able to take those skills that you there's so many skills that are within us that we just kind of sit on or we like think are a hobby you know yeah. but to be able to like you said work a full-time job and then yeah. Start doing the thing that you just enjoy doing and then realizing, oh, this could be a career, you know? Exactly. Or even if it doesn't become a career, yeah. you know, I, I love anytime someone will just, you know, feed, give some fire to um, the spark they already have, just this interest, you know? I feel like sometimes there's a lost art of just having hobbies and crafts because, if it's not being monetized into something or evolving or scaling into something, then it's kind of seen as a waste. And I'm like, no, there's so much joy in just having hobbies. And hobby could be as, as literally, you know, just reading. And I feel like something I have even had to sort of um, remind myself within my own crafts is like, I love making art and doing and producing art, but I can do art that is separate than the art that I'm monetizing or making a living or um yeah living from and that has been something i've been diving deeper into i would say in the past couple of years cuz it just it feeds me to create but it could also be a very quick transition over into like pressure and like mm-hmm. oh but i need to do something with this i got to find a way to like you know try to sell this thing when really i just like making puzzles you know yeah. <laughs> i just like you know making collages or or whatever it is. So feeding that those artistic desires um, within us is is incredibly important and a reminder, at least for me, of like my inner child work that I'm always sort of doing. And it's therapeutic, you know. I think yeah. we live in such so, such a fast paced driven society that just is go go go. And like you said, I think we almost think we don't have time to have a hobby, <laughs> you know. Right. And wonder why so many people deal with anxiety and stress and you know just so many mental things. It's because we don't take that time to just do something you enjoy doing, you know. As simple as that. It's like. I love, I have a friend who is an accountant and she texted me a picture actually last night of this puzzle that she's working on. And it's a puzzle that I made of my, uh, some old um, meditation pillows. And I just was like, how amazing is this? And a a season where I know she is super busy and, you know, stressed trying to do tax preparation for a lot of people. She's very intentional about taking her time for crafts, for hobbies, just to do something with her hands that has nothing to do with making money, creating for other people. And it's, I just love those reminders of slowing down, of being present in yourself. Um, because there's, there's so many messages of like being an entrepreneur is, is the thing is the way is how you, you know, build your livelihood, sustain yourself, get validation or whatever it is. And, I never want to, for me personally, I never want to really valorize entrepreneurship in the sense like that is the stream for your joy. It is a stream for some people's joy, you know, and a path toward 
the livelihood of generational wealth that you want to build. But I absolutely, you know, loved the, loved my time working full time and doing my thing on the side and still reminding myself, find hobbies, find things you enjoy. Um, because the, the other way of working for me was, was a lot of anxiety, was a lot of pressure, just being responsible solely for my, my own livelihood in that capacity. And at the same time, I couldn't, it was blocking me from just doing things for fun. I was always like, Hmm, but what's the point of doing this if I also cannot market it? <laughs> it's like, no, it's that's not the basis of creativity is. Yeah, yeah. I've really been doing more of that, like taking a step back because I, you know, in doing a podcast and in like trying to keep up with, you know, like created a production company and feeling like I always have to be on, you know, yeah. especially with social media, feeling yeah. like I always need to be posting what I'm doing. And lately, I've just like really taken a step back from that and enjoying yeah. more experiences rather than feeling the need to share them so much. And it. it's just so it's like a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> like when I want to share, I do. Um, but just to be able to enjoy more experiences, it really changed the game for me. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I love right now. I'm really just active on Instagram. That's where I promote my business and everything. But it's also the bulk of where I just share my personal stuff, what I'm doing. And but to your point, I feel you on that, like taking the weight off of feeling like I have to produce certain content or or publish it during certain times, however many times a week, because Instagram was not a, you know, platform for rest, you know, it, it, it was kind of marketed as this place for just sharing with your friends and family. But it is a business at the end of the day, and they're trying to monetize their platform as well. So it seemed inevitable there was going to be this expectation of advertising, you know, of, of um, the more you post, the more views and visibility that you get, but then it puts you in this really uh, real cycle that kind of sneaks up on you about producing. And it's another place that you have to be producing and creating. And I just love to share. Mm-hmm. I really love putting people onto cool things. I love being put onto really cool stuff. And I was just like, Do I want one platform to be responsible for my livelihood? No. So how do I choose how I'm going to engage with these platforms? And I've tried to find a balance of like creating stuff that I love that is, you know, for my business, but also just sharing really great places that I'm going, people I'm talking to, uh, other businesses who I want people to know about so that I don't always feel like I am selling to people or, um, trying to valorize work again because trust me i'm not always on mm-hmm. i'd be in the house watching fraser you know <laughs> I'm here like taking baths or playing with my niece and my nephews there's there's such a life that you live and whether it's online offline um like for me and my friend whitney my best friend whitney says this all the time she's like my only job is taking care of myself is making sure that i feel good that i look good is taking care of my mental health. And that's so prominent for me too. Making money is necessary living in this country, but taking care of oneself online, offline is crucial. It's the work. Yeah, so important. So very important. Um, You mentioned, and we talked a little bit about you working as a photo editor. Yeah. the Washington Post and other publications. Tell us about covering stories in that art form. What was that like? Oh, 
that was so fun. That was truly, I would go back and do that work in a heartbeat because I really, really loved it. And I started at the post. It was a dream opportunity because um, I was initially at AARP. And the post at that time had just been bought by Jeff Bezos. And so he was creating different verticals within the print and digital um, portion. So I had a really op- awesome opportunity to create their photo blog or launch their photo blog, which was culling exciting unpublished works from emerging photographers just from all over the world and being able to, you know, edit these pictures down and then write the stories around them to share with, you know, millions of people every single day. I was just like, this is, I am paid to do this work. It was so awesome and getting to network with lots of other photo editors across the industry who I admired and and photographers. It was such a dream opportunity. And then I got another really great opportunity within the post, which was to take over as their senior features editor. And that job was much more robust. It because with the blog, I worked by myself essentially. I was reaching out to photographers, writing everything, editing, posting. But with the senior features editor, it was with the print magazine, which print is you know, I'm a print girl for for life. I love tactile things. And in that job, I went from, it went from a two-person to a one-person job, just me. And I was overseeing seven different sections across food, travel, celebrity style, um, home, you name it. It was like hand was in it. Wow. And it was a lot, but I, I loved it because I got to hire photographers who had not, you know, worked in any sort of editorial capacity before, really getting to shape visual narratives with them, come up with super dope like packages, collaborate with graphic designers on the team. It just was like, it really was a dream opportunity. And, and not to say every day wasn't, or you know, some days weren't hard, or you know, issues with workflow process, et cetera, as in any job. But the way I was able to just lean into this love of photography and putting on amazing photographers who were more excited to do the work because, you know, you were trusting them. You were reaching out to them for this big opportunity and saying, I love your style. I want your stamp, your signature on this project. Um, I think you just got really great work from everyone across the board. And it sharpened my visual language. It helped me, I think, certainly grow more as a photo editor slash art director, creative director, um, being able to really like shape narratives, intro- pitch story ideas that maybe other editors were not considering, especially when it came to stories that focus on you know black people, people of color in general. So I I love that whole time period, and it was it, I guess thinking about it, hindsight, it was kind of short. I was with the Post about, about two years before I got an offer to move to LA and work with Netflix in a similar but different capacity. And so um, just so much of what I learned and gleaned from the post, I feel like I still carry with me because you were kind of cocooned, you know, you're with this legacy publication or institution that millions of people are seeing, even though my name wasn't on stuff, which I was totally fine with, still knowing that my contribution was there and that I was able to like foster this amazing network of creatives. Uh, I I loved that job and I, I do miss it sometimes. I miss that um, back and forth, you know, figuring out a visual narrative, who's going right. to photograph it. 
So that was that was such a, a sweet period in my career. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure those experiences benefit you even now with what you're yeah. doing now. You know, like oh, 100 being able to share that to tell your story through your mm-hmm. furniture and take the photos of your the spaces that oh. you're creating and yeah, all of that has been feeding my upholstery work. And I was I was funny. It's funny you mentioned that because I was reflecting on it recently. I just did a chair campaign. It was like eight chairs, eight different ways, and from start to finish. Because I was thinking like, oh, you know, maybe I'll have someone like photograph it. And I worked with a friend of mine. Uh, her name is Wing Ho. She's based here in Minneapolis. Fantastic photographer. And it was so great to take, you know, my project, but give her the creative direction, come into the studio, you know, photograph things, be back on a set, if you will, the set being my studio. But, you know, zhuzhing up the the fabrics, making sure that things are steamed so you don't see any wrinkles. Um, figuring out the light and then figuring out how do we package and then promote these chairs? You know, is it like, what's the digital campaign versus just a a sort of print or tactile campaign? And that put me right back in my pocket as a photo editor. And I was so giddy. Like, honestly, I was like, what is this feeling? But it was that getting back to collaborating with people and not just working by myself, but working with other people to create a story, create a visual that had just, for me, it has even more resonance and impact because I'm doing it with other folks. So every single day, my past work in photo editing, um, my past work, you know, working with the school newspaper and writing stories is feeding all this work that I'm doing now. And that's what also allows me more ease even to transition into other projects or other parts of my creativity. Cause I'm like, it's all connected, you know, one one period of your life is feeding the other period or informing you or giving you more confidence, you know, to, to walk into that work. And it's just a different title, really. Yeah, yeah. And you have to trust the process. I feel like even if you're in a career or, you know, a job that you're not 100 percent, you know, excited about, like right. whatever you're learning there is is building up the the skill set that you need for whatever your purpose truly is. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. It's all feeding the purpose. And and I I'm in that position now where I'm honestly kind of not rethinking, but I'm trying to um maybe listen to myself, my spirit and see what is the next kind of evolution for what I want to do. Um, it'll be six years next month. Oh my gosh, that I've been doing upholstery work full time. So I'm excited about it, but I also feel like there's that uh, kind of stirring happening inside of wanting to try something new or something different. And I feel like whatever it is, you know, the upholstery work is going to feed that in some way. Mm-hmm. But there's there's so many projects, you know, that are, that are percolating and that I am jotting out and thinking big, trying to think differently too, and like tapping into my creative wholeness, whole self. Yeah. And like you said, what you're doing now is going to feed into that. You talked about, you know, how you were introduced into upholstery and, you know, how that all started for you. Tell us about the shift from your full-time job into pursuing what you are now. Yeah. I had, um, when I, left the post to go and work for Netflix, I had been going back and forth with that decision for a long time. And it was less because I was like, oh, I'm not happy with 
uh, photo editing. I loved photo editing, but the industry was shifting a lot. Um, there was more emphasis on, or I should say less emphasis on um, like the photo editor doing this one specific job. And there were more a lot of other people who also were doing photo editor work. I don't even know if that's making sense, but it was just like the peanut butter was being spread a little thin, I thought. And when I got the offer for Netflix, it just didn't seem like there was no real reason to say no other than I just was like, this is new for me. You know, it's going from print to now working with broadcast or a streaming service. And I didn't have any of that industry, but it was exciting, you know, to live in LA, to make the money, to work with this platform. So I moved and I tell you, Renee, as soon as I got there, I just was this feeling of like, this was not the right decision for me. It was very much like I felt unsettled. I felt um, just really strange, you know, in the city, specifically in the job. And Netflix was a different company at the time. And there was a lot of freedom, but at the same time, I felt very restricted. I didn't feel like I was doing work that I had been cultivating for so many years. And I felt really like out of my element in so many ways. <clears throat> but it was hard to articulate that, you know, to friends and to family because you're in LA, you work for Netflix, you're making 200000 a year, you should be good to go. And I was just like, but I'm home crying every night after work because I'm just not happy. Mm. And I remember taking, um, there was a, um, like a wellness retreat that happened to be coming to LA one of the first weeks that I, or um, months that I was there. And on a whim, I just bought a ticket and I went. And it was truly a life-changing experience for me because that retreat helped me articulate where I was in that feeling. And I was, I just was disconnected from myself, from my truth, from what I wanted to do in terms of career or, or work. And I went home. I remember um, meditating in my living room just for some clarity. The next week, I quit my job at Netflix. It was like maybe right before Thanksgiving. My I was supposed to have a meeting with my boss. And I was just like, actually, you know, I don't really feel like I want to continue doing this. And she was so understanding. And that's when I went home and I journaled and I said, what do you want to do, Nicole? And upholstery came back to me. It had never really left. It was always in the background. I even had, wow, I'm talking about this now. I even had built a website already. No clients, no chairs, just a website as like a skeleton for my business, just to have my name already, you know, kind of solidified. And I said, I really want to start um, upholstery again. I want to make this my full time, my livelihood. And I want to structure it in a way that I have a balance of work, but also just living and being able to create. And being really intentional about it shifted so much for me. I had to think about my work schedule. I was going to be moving back from LA to DC, both expensive cities. Mm -hmm. So I was like, we need a work structure that makes sure we're making money <laughs> to be able to afford to live. Um, I didn't have a studio space at the time. So I converted essentially my dining room in my one bedroom apartment into my studio. It was maybe 200 square feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we made it work. And I, you know, I just said, this is a, a hat. This is a mindset now that I have to put on and mm -hmm. adapt um, because I've, my whole name is my business now. And so I want to really make sure that I'm taking it seriously and I want others to also take it seriously. And so the transition for me, it felt 
um, fluid and comfortable and I was clear, but it was just that reconciling it with friends and with family, people who were like, well, weren't you just in LA and weren't you? So all of those things, you know, I had to go through that transition but for me, I knew how I wanted to work. I knew how I wanted to live. And then I started reaching out to people, you know, to potential clients. Um, I set up like a Yelp business page at the time so folks could find me. I was trying to activate as many of my networks as I could because nobody knew that I was doing upholstery work. So I had to actively get that word out. Mm -hmm. And once that started happening, it all just became word of mouth. I didn't do any advertising. I haven't had any publicity since then. And um, publicists, I mean, since then, it's really just been using the social platforms, Instagram, and at the time, Facebook, um, to share the work that I was doing, and other people in turn were sharing it too. But it was so important to set up structures for working day to day. If it was like, I'm working Monday through Friday, nine to five, that was the window that I was answering emails, that I was working, that I was on the road going to fabric stores or furniture stores. And then weekends, I really allowed myself to just be, you know, to enjoy my space because my home space was also my workspace. Mm -hmm. And so there was that element of like, I had to separate it from my own peace of mind and then go into work mode when it was work time. Mm -hmm. And having that structure when I first started, I carried that through even till today. Um, and my skills with photo editing and being able to, you know, emailing all kinds of agencies and publicists and handling invoicing, all of that stuff I was able to utilize with, you know, having my business because it wasn't where I was like, I don't have any structure here. I don't know where any stuff is. I knew when bills need to be paid. I knew how to, you know, follow up with people. Um, so, yeah, that transition from full time to entrepreneur, I treated it like I was, you know, this was my livelihood right here. I had to have that mentality of businesswoman, if you will. Yeah, that's a word. Structure. <laughs> I feel like that's what separates, you know, it from being a hobby and it being mm -hmm. an actual career that you're pursuing is like, yes. this is what I'm doing Monday through Friday, nine to five. And I love that you said that you took the weekends to enjoy your space and to... Yeah. Because like you said, that can be hard. I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of people now that work from home. And I know yeah. that that can be a struggle in that like you're sharing your work. You know, when you're in the office, when you're right. away from home, you can leave it there. Right. But when you're home and, you know, it's just the next room over or it's the dining room, you right. see it, you know, and it's a reminder. So being able to separate that space, separate that mindset mm -hmm. that this is home right now, it's the weekend, I'm going to enjoy this time. It's so important, you know, and it, it really is. Yeah, because it, oh gosh, there was many times, you know, I'm also working with a lot of materials and tools that are super grimy when you're reupholstering a chair. And I had carpeting in this apartment, Lord. So wow. it was dust and staples and nails everywhere. And I had to clean all that to make sure that I really was like, this is not a studio. It is your home, <laughs> you know, but otherwise I, it would just overwhelm me. And I would always feel like I had to be doing something or being, you know, cleaning something up. So, yeah, having whatever way you can structure, you know, your workspace, um, whether it's physically or mentally, I would say that is crucial. Just being able to declutter, to compartmentalize for me anyway help me to um, make better decisions, 
know when I was on and when I was not on. And of course, you know, sometimes if I wanted to answer emails at 10 o'clock on a Sunday or something, that was fine. But um, I kind of, I really tried to make it a more holistic approach to business by um, going off how I, I was feeling, then also saying, what's the reality? Like, you know, I'm dealing with people's real money, actual money. And so that has to, um, you know, be accounted for and be bucketed in a certain way. And I, initially, I was not super sharp with setting up different like accounts or making sure that, um, you know, this was money that I still owed for taxes, terrible, those kinds of things. And I had to learn those hard lessons, right? When the tax man came around, I was like, oh, but I didn't put this aside. (laughs) Now I have to work to pay these taxes off. Um, Expensive mistakes, you know, were really great lessons (laughs) for me. That's a gem for any new, because I feel like we have a lot of new entrepreneurs that watch and listen. Make sure you're doing that. You know, it's important to look into the financial aspect too. You, everybody's excited about becoming an entrepreneur and wanting to make their own money, but if they're, you know, a job takes out those taxes, so you don't have to think about that. Okay, (laughs) and your taxes, if you're self-employed and you're not having those taxes removed, you know, or or matched by um, an employer. Those taxes are double on your tax returns. Like you have to pay, you know, like my social security. I I just had my tax prep uh, last week and getting a professional versus me trying to just do it on my own because it was a whole different tax structure. That is an area where I'm willing to invest the money so that someone can look through this. You know, I can give them every single deductible I can think of. And then they also can say, okay, but also let's consider this, that and the other um, cause I am, I get not uncomfortable talking about finances, but I know it's not my strong point to talk about taxes and figure that out. So I really have become better about utilizing tax prep help. Um, I've worked with a bookkeeper also throughout the year, just so I can, um, not be surprised basically at the end of the year or even beginning of the year with, with numbers, because there is, there is that beauty of having a front facing something that looks successful, but the reality of like, but I really have no money because I haven't allotted it in the right way. That is what, you know, determines your longevity in, in having a business. So getting the structures together, getting your insurance, um, you know, your paperwork together was really important. Even when I was working from home, I had business insurance and my own renter's insurance because I still had people's furniture in my space. And I wanted to make sure that should God forbid anything happen to that, you know, the furniture, I, it was still insured. It was still covered. So that was another expense that I was you know, willing to pay, but hadn't even thought about when I first started working from home until I was doing my research. <laughs> yeah. These are things that are, you know, we don't always think about, but it's mm-hmm. so important and it's going to save you, like you said, a lot of money later. So <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> so when did you start to see, you know, business pick up steam and you're, you're building clientele? How long was that process for you? You know, it was, to my own surprise, it was pretty early because when I had three months with, within three months of starting uh, my upholstery business, my first big hospitality client was the Line Hotel in DC. They had just opened and they had reached out about reupholstering um, in the lobby these seats that they had. And they wanted us to do a mud cloth and make these beautiful cushions. And I was just like, whoa, you know, this is amazing. And so that was my first kind of big client. But I also really had to think about, you know, turnaround time because they wanted something within two weeks. So mm-hmm. then it was like, 
you know, pricing was a question for me. Like, how do I price something for a hospitality client now versus a residential client and one that has a tighter window for completion? So um, once I started working with them, a lot of press just came after that. It was a lot of local press and then a lot of residential clients who found me. Um, And then I started getting more uh, sort of commercial clients. I was working with the British Embassy. Then there was a those companies in New York who were reaching out, and all of this is again just word of mouth and through kind of the free publicity of other publications mentioning me because I I didn't think I had the money at the time to hire a publicist or do any kind of advertising, and that's when I was like, oh okay, this isn't. Uh, this isn't just a structure where it's like me working with one client at a time, one chair in, one chair out. I really started to think about a team of people, other seamstresses, other upholsterers who I could, you know, offload some of the work to because my apartment space was not, <laughs> I couldn't put much in there. And then um, I think the more I was promoting the work online and the message of modern heirlooms, wanting to create pieces that were for you know, young black kids like myself who maybe didn't have a bunch of heirlooms that they had inherited from their family, but wanted to design some for us. Um, I had museums reaching out about, you know, reupholstering pieces for them or doing exhibitions, you know, where I could bring in my own pieces there. So all of that was snowballing. And then, um, yeah, my big dream projects happened within three years of being in upholstery. And that was getting an offer from a retailer world market to create my own furniture collection. Mm -hmm. And I just like time stopped, you know, when I got that email. (laughs) So it was, it was just this amazing culmination of a lot of work, but then I also feel like circumstances where, cause this was June of 2020. So it was on the heels of George Floyd's murder where a lot of businesses, you know, are supporting Black businesses um, and Black designers. And I feel like that is where my work, it's like a before world market and after world market period, Mm -hmm. honestly, for me. So, Well, tell us about that, because I know that email had to be so exciting. And like you're transitioning from doing the reupholstering into now creating your own collection of furniture. Tell us about that experience. Oh, my goodness. 